everybody, I'm Kai Rizdahl. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. And I'm Kimberly Adams. Thank you for joining us on this Monday, May the 8th. Today we are going to do a little bit of news, then tell you about a story or two that made us smile. Uh, so let's dive right in after you, Mr. Ristoff. After me. All right. So I've got two, uh, one of which is somewhat serious and the other one of which is also uh, serious. So we'll pick varying degrees of seriousness. How about this? This weekend in uh, the great state of California, a task force that we have out here uh, working on reparations uh, for black Americans who've been affected by everything. Do we really need to explain? Mm -hmm. Uh, came out with its recommendations. And it is, it is um, you know, you, you can read the specifics because there's some level of detail. I just think it's significant in that, number one, this is California, the most uh, um, significant economy uh, in this larger American economy. Uh, it is, I believe, the first state to come out with state-level recommendations on reparations. Um, and I think it's a great way to get the conversation to the next level because... Uh, unless you've been living under a rock, or maybe even if you have, you understand what um, race has done to, first of all, the people in this economy uh, who suffered uh, because of uh, the way we treat black Americans, and number two, how the larger economy has suffered too. And I just wanted people to understand that, that um, there's this thing out there, and it's, it's a really big and potentially significant story. That's what I got. That's one of the things I got. Are a lot of folks talking about that out there in California? Like, does it you know, come up in not, conversation yeah, with no, people? No, no, no. And that's and that's me being a public radio listening, New York Times reading, you know, white Californian, right? I don't, I don't hear. I was at a party on Saturday night. This did not come up. You know. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 I wonder uh, if I the conversation yeah, sorry, is happening ahead. amongst the sort of opposing groups, though. Uh, I, which I imagine oh. it is. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think there's a group of people that think that this is a, not a no brainer, right? Because it's a significant step, but it's the right thing to do. And then there's a group of people that says, what? No, why? I don't understand. That hasn't been a problem. Right. I mean, you know. Yeah. Uh, All right. You were going to item number two. Oh, sorry. Yeah. For, for, <laughs> sorry. For, for, for which you can, you can make no excuses other than to say, shut up and just open your eyes. Uh, okay. Item number two. Um, this one is more squarely uh, in, in my wheelhouse and in the wheelhouse of marketplace writ large, but something incredibly dorky called the sluice came out today from the federal reserve. It is the senior loan officer opinion survey. And literally what the Fed does, it goes around to senior loan officers at a bunch of big banks and says, hey, how you feeling? Has your uh, loan volume increased or decreased? Are you asking for more collateral? Are you asking for more documents? What are you expecting in the months ahead? And the report for the first quarter came out today. And I emphasize first quarter because that is obviously January, February, and March. And Silicon Valley Bank, if I'm not mistaken, went under like right at the first week of March. I want to say March the 7th, but it was early in March. So most of the bank agita that has happened in the last couple of weeks and, you know, two months in this economy is not in this report. And yet what you have are loan officers in big institutions and mid-sized institutions, actually, saying, yeah, we're a little worried. Credit access is going to become tough. We're not seeing people lending. We don't really like what's going on out there. And I would just suggest that if this is all before SVB, that bodes not really very good things. 
Hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I actually saw uh, Austin Goolsby, the president of the Chicago Fed, said today or the other day, he's getting vibes uh, about a credit crunch. Hmm. And if, if the word credit crunch reminds you of anything, it reminds you of 2007-ish when people were saying, oh, yeah, there's a credit squeeze. It's going to be okay, though. It's just a little tightening of credit. I literally, I did an interview, and I asked uh, the person I was interviewing, I was like, how long do you think this is going to last? And they were like, oh, you know, six months. And that was in 2007, <laughs> and you're like, oh, shut up. Uh, yeah. Well, I so, mean, anyway. if you think about it, like, the worst of it did last about six months, but it was just very, very bad. And then it was, yeah. like, not so much that conditions were so tight after that it's that fewer people met even the base requirement because so many people right. lost their jobs right. and had no money so right. the conditions right. remain the same just fewer people were eligible yeah that's true and the, yeah. and, and and you're you're absolutely right right the bear stearns to to uh lehman brothers sort of span was like seven months right march to september mm -hmm. and then after it was the fallout after that 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 just yeah. really torpedoed things anyway so things. those are my two things yeah. um Sort of, you know, there's those significant economic elements in both, actually. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll stay in, in my wheelhouse today and do some very Washington stories. Uh, the first of all, first one um, related to the debt limit and obviously the ongoing <sighs> efforts in Washington to, in theory, do something before it gets much worse. Do uh, I love how you... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who knows? It's been interesting listening on the weekly wrap every week and you're like, when does the market start mm -hmm. caring? When does the market start yeah, caring? And yeah. now we're kind of at this point where everyone's yeah. like, no, for real, y'all, you got to do something. This isn't funny anymore. Uh, so yeah. therefore, pointing to a story in The Hill today that the National Association of Government Employees has actually filed a lawsuit to mm -hmm. block enforcement of a law that sets the nation's debt limit, arguing it's unconstitutional as a political divide. Uh, sorry, it's uh, arguing that it's unconstitutional. So um, we talked a while back when we were saying how the debt limit fight could play out, that one of the things the Biden administration could do was to just ignore it and say it's unconstitutional because Congress mm -hmm. passed a law telling me to spend this money. Therefore, I have to spend this money and I can't adhere to this other law saying I can't surpass the debt limit and therefore whatever. And now there's a lawsuit basically leaning on that, that, you know, Congress is and the executive is obligated to pay these government workers because that those funds have been appropriated. And, you know, this is, it's its not a small number of government workers, and my mm -hmm. mouse is frozen, I think it's like, yeah, 75,000 federal employees yeah. um, represented by this group. And, it, and the statement was, unless, the, unless and until the debt limit statute is amended or revised to allow Congress to determine the priority of payments among specific programs, once the limit is reached, Members will suffer irreparable injury from layoffs, furloughs, and loss of employment that are taken without any legitimate authority by the president. And so that argument being that because the law doesn't stipulate mm -hmm. who gets to get paid first in the event we actually do run out of spending authority, that their members are going to eat that and you know maybe interest on the debt gets paid first which means government employees get kicked to the bottom social security gets paid earlier on which means government employees get kicked to the bottom and there's real you know economic pain for these people looming in this it's not theoretical for them so 
Is is there a a? Uh, I know the Federal Reserve talked about this back in 2011 when the last real debt crisis happened. But is there a payment prioritization schedule that's been published? Has anybody in an official capacity said yes? It will be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. These seven groups in that order. Do we know? I should know, but I don't. so it's it's funny you should ask that. So the technical answer is no, not really in terms of this round, because mm-hmm. the administration strategically does not release that information, even though there are all sorts of reports and rumors that these plans do exist. But right, they don't right. want those plans public because then that becomes leverage for you know, the GOP to say, well, look, there is a plan, we could manage this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. how dare the administration prioritize this over this, you know, the administration, let's just say, for argument, that this magical list says that we pay interest on the national debt first, then you could get a GOP talking point that, you know, we're trying to come up with a deal and the Biden administration is talking about skipping payments to seniors in order Mm -hmm. to, you know, pay Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. to pay China yep. or something like that. Yep. For, yep. China yep. holds so many treasuries. So oh, anyway, man. but we do know a little bit about how the government might prioritize these payments based on the last time around and some reporting that's happened since then about sort of what they were going to do, which again okay. was probably prioritizing payments on interest on the national debt to sort of not let the global economy mm-hmm. collapse, mm-hmm. prioritize payments you know, social security payments and things like that, and maybe like government military contractors in, you know, active situations where people's lives are at risk and things like that. But yeah, there's a strategy to not releasing that information. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha, thank you. Okay, Washington story number two comes courtesy of the 19th News, which uh, was, falls into the category of something I thought I knew, but later found out I was wrong about, you know, I see what you're saying. I, thank you very much. I tried. I didn't necessarily think that I knew exactly how many working mothers were serving in Congress, but I certainly thought it was more than 37. Because according to the 19th, just 37 members of Congress are mothers with minor children. And so obviously many more women have older children, but if you're talking about mothers that are, you know, handling a lot of high intensity caregiving of minor small children, there's not a lot of them. And they're drastically underrepresented in terms of, you know, <laughs> representation in, the represent- in right. what's supposedly a representative democracy. Uh, less than 7%, according to the 19th, less than 7% of members of Congress are mothers with minor children. That's just 37 out of 550, sorry, less, just 37 out of 541 members in Congress, including non-voting members. And that means Americans would need to elect at least 59 more mothers of minor children to achieve proportional representation with the general population. Hmm. Which, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it just, you know, is... We throw around representative democracy so often in like cultural mm-hmm. part. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, my cat. Give me one. It's all right. Don't worry about it. I can't even cat. yell at him because he's deaf and he won't hear me. And he's on the other <laughs> side of the room. And so he's just going to keep making noise, I guess, because I can't do anything about cats, it. I got all right. Dogs. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, but, you know, we throw around representative democracy all the time. But how representative is our democracy actually? If we look at Congress, you know, it 
underrepresents younger represent younger generations. It underrepresents people of color. It underrepresents religious minorities, and it underrepresents working mothers. And mm-hmm. it's just worthwhile keeping that in mind every so often. Yeah, especially when lot. you think about yeah. You know, well, especially when you think about how important public policy is about working mothers and working parents, right? Childcare, mm. transportation, all of those things. And if you've got Let's see, 5,541 minus 37 is, you know, 500 plus people whose mm-hmm. key issue is not that or have, don't have firsthand experience with that. Come on, mm-hmm. man. What are we even doing? Yeah, would we have let the child tax right. credit expire right. if we right. had more working mothers in Congress? Right. That right. would be interesting. Okay, right. we got the serious stuff done. Charles Let's it. do some fun stuff. All right, you go first here. Yeah, you know, we are going to keep covering everything with generative AI and chat GPT and all these things because it keeps inserting itself into more and more aspects of our lives and economy. And because so much of that coverage is kind of scary and, and, oh, God, what's going to happen next? I always love the stories that are a little bit lighter about it. And Mm -hmm. so you bet. The New York Times has a fun story with, I love this headline, Chatfished, How to Lose Friends and Alienate People with AI. And the premise is that the author, uh, Emma Goldberg, decided to see if ChatGPT could really replace her just in terms of inner office communication, not even writing her articles, not doing her research, but just sort of dealing with her chit chat with colleagues and emails with, you know, fellow New York Times reporters and her bosses and things like that. And can it manage the office banter? And in some cases it did, but not really to the point that some people thought that she was mad at them or some people thought she wasn't taking something seriously enough or her boss was like, that doesn't sound like you. And, you know, it's nice to know that there are some things that are uniquely ours, which is even if it's just our Slack version of uh, communication. (laughs) Like, will chat GPT know when to properly insert the dancing penguin? Uh, Which I don't understand, by the way. I don't understand what the dancing penguin's all about, just for the record. (laughs) And yes, there's a certain amount of, hey, you kids get off my lawn in that. But anyway, whatever. All right. So So here's mine. I have to to tell tell people. The dancing penguin is my favorite Slack emoji, and it is my general response for anything. It doesn't mean anything to me. It is that I think it's cute. And so when I want to give a just neutral, positive, I think this is a good thing reaction to something, rather than a smiley face, I will put the dancing penguin because I think it's adorable. Okay. But how are we on the receiving end supposed to know that that is your intent with that emoji? As opposed to like a smiley face, which we get, or a thumbs up, we get. How could you not be happy with a dancing penguin? How how would you interpret that as a bad thing? I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just don't know what it means. I don't. It's uh, a vibe. It's a vibe. Hang on, let me yell at my dog. You you get your cat. I'll yell at my dog. (laughs) Hey, Bonds. Bonsai, come here. Bonds, come on. There we go. And here comes Willow too. All right. All right, so I will now uh, take that with the, with the intent with which it is intended, and now I know. Yes. So anyway. Okay, good. Yes, okay. Uh, so mine is a piece in Bloomberg that's it's a little bit of a fluffy, fluffy piece on this company called Spin Launch. 
it goes to back to the the thing that that Kimberly and I talk about all the time, which is that space is cool. But anyway, I've mm-hmm. I've been following this company for a while, and basically their deal is they want to launch rockets into space, not with rockets, rockets, but by spinning them around really fast and then letting go. And and you might think that I'm oversimplifying, but not this really. This photo is amazing. This it's photo crazy. is amazing. It's absolutely wild. It's a California startup that wants to spin things inside a vacuum chamber at the end of an arm that rotates at crazy, crazy speeds and getting up to orbital velocity and letting it go. I kid you not. I don't know if it's going to work. I mean, work. if it works, that's much more efficient. Uh, I know. I know. And it just last September got $71 million uh, or had raised $71 million from uh, a bunch of uh, really like brand name uh, investment companies and and VC companies like Kleiner Perkins and Alphabet. And I don't know. In, in 2026, it says it's going to have a thing to be able to th- fling something 40 miles up into the atmosphere. It could be super cool or it could be nothing. But I just think it's amazingly cool. Yeah, it's I think launch. that's cool too. Look it up. Yeah. Yeah. Look it up. That's, that's a lot of fun. That's a good one. Isn't it? All right. Can, that can is it for today. No, I was just going to say, can you imagine standing there as this thing goes flying out of the chute and just goes, Pew! come on. I mean, at 5,000 miles per hour, would you see right. it? Or really? More. I don't yeah. know. It's big enough, I guess. Yeah. Whatever. All right. That is all for today. Tomorrow, you can join us for our weekly deep dive. This week, we're going to be talking to sociologist Matthew Desmond about his new book, Poverty by America, which digs into why poverty persists in the United States. You know, like we were talking about with the child tax credit, which helped eliminate uh, or reduce by half childhood poverty while it was enacted. But whatevs. Totally. Uh, sorry, I was just looking up orbital velocity. I don't, th- I don't think 5,000 miles an hour is going to get you to orbital, orbital velocity, but anyway, it's a step. Um, but Wait, if you've got a questions, five... comment, if, if, if you know what orbital velocity is yes. for one earth gravity, <laughs> let us know. Voicemail is 508-UB-SMART. You can also email us at makemesmart at marketplace.org. Either one of those will work to get in touch with us. And, uh, otherwise that's what we got for today. Uh-huh. All right. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Berg-Seeker. Today's program was engineered by Charlton Thorpe. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter, and our intern is Antonio Barreras. What are you over there mumbling? Uh, me too. I'm having a tough day. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcast. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It's in the can. <laughs>